Night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I am Ross Bolin, here at the Grand X Media Studios in Austin, Texas, with Barry, oh my god, Barrett's not here. It's Jared Borislow. It me. Holy shit, a surprise co-host. I haven't been on in, I think, what, season, this season episode two, was that when I was on? Maybe? Yeah. Oh, episode one, The Two Swords. Was that, was that season four? Yeah, season four. Yeah, okay, so you've been on this season. People are aware of who you are. I always describe you as like a little finger aficionado or... Yes, big fan of my man's. He's still alive at this point, so big. Don't see him in the episode, though, which is not ideal for me. It isn't, but it's ideal for me, so I don't have to hear you talk about him so much. Uh, Barrett's on vacation. Jared has agreed lovingly to, to fill in for him, and we're very appreciative of that fact. People need to know something about you, Jared, and it's that you and I do a Westworld podcast together. Yes, we do. We just recorded it. It's called Freeze All Motor Functions, and every week, similar to OCC, we break down the latest in Westworld and on Monday, and then uh, later that Thursday, we have a hotline call episode that focuses on listener theories and uh, questions. Subscribe to Freeze All Motor Functions if you're a Westworld fan, and you will enjoy that show just as much as you enjoy this one. I can promise you that. This show's getting crazy. It's the end of the season, meaning it's going to get real complex. Ross and I break it down, make it all accessible for you. Yeah, it's not complex now. It's going to get complex. I'm just fucking... I'm, you know, if you watch Westworld, you're aware of how complicated the show is. Freeze All Motor Functions is a fantastic companion podcast. Jared does a very good job of educating all the listeners and me every week. Thank you, Ross. You're welcome. Yeah, we just recorded our episode eight recap is live at Freeze All Motor Functions, wherever you get your potties. And this is the Night's Rewatch. We are doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with season one, episode one, leading up to the final season of our favorite show, so we can all be as prepared as possible. Take the black and join us. Tell your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers that like Game of Thrones that they should subscribe to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles. As a member of the Clam Fam, and as a brother or sister in the Night's Rewatch, you are capable of invoking Sumai on Man Outfitters and getting 15% off your entire order if you spend $150 or more on manoutfitters.com. Free shipping included always. Hit manoutfitters.com today. Type in the code SUMAI, S-U-M-A-I, at checkout and get that big time discount so you can stock up on fresh threads for spring and summer. Uh, you can also check out, if you're interested, my specific collection on Man Outfitters at manoutfitters.com slash collections slash Ross dash Bolin. If you're interested in some of my favorites that we have on the site, um, our hotline number is 86643 Clams. You can call with questions, takes, clam fam corrections, whenever you want. We've got two calls this week. Here is the first one. What's up, clam fam? It's your boy, Tyler from Connecticut, with a little bit of clarification for you guys from the last pod. Um, you're asking why Mo Kalen is so important, even though most of it is a ruin. Um, and basically what it is, it commands 
started to travel through the swamps of the neck into the north, that's where they needed to go through. It offers safe passage through those swamps, which are apparently quite quite treacherous. So basically, it's just an easy way to get into the north, uh, and it's one of the north's most important strongholds. Yeah, just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a little bit of info. Love you guys. Love the pod. Keep it up. Peace out. Much appreciated on the clarification. I was kind of shitting on Moat Kalen because it's just like a swamp. Right with this fuck, uh, Jared. I know you weren't on here last episode, but Mo Kalen was a. Uh, oh, I know Mo Kalen, and I've always said that is the trashiest castle in, that we've seen in this show. It was ass. It's in the. It looks terrible. It's in the swamp. I was making fun of it, but it does have an important purpose. Yeah. In the overall uh, geography of things. Well, its place in the swamp makes it look like what is it? The old secret hideout from uh, the, the was it the Justice League? Was right. That, where all the evil people are, and they're yeah. in this little dome in a marsh. Yes. That's exactly that's Mo Kalen to me. <laughs> All right, uh, we got one more call. Hey guys, it's Rachel from Texas, longtime listener. Um, two quick clam fam corrections slash clarification. So the first one is about Egret and Moldstown leaving Gilly alive. She recognizes her as a wildling, so she leaves her because they are raiding Moldstown because they know that members of the Night's Watch go there regularly, and they don't want the Night's Watch to have any help when they do attack. So they're trying to just kind of cut off their resources by just killing everyone like that and hopefully getting some brothers of the Night's Watch in the meantime. Uh, the second clarification is when Danny says that the Dothraki make love uh, under the stars. So her and Caldrogo's relationship in the book is actually not as rapey and gross as it's portrayed in the show, um, particularly the first time they actually do have sex on their wedding night. Uh, Caldrogo doesn't rape her. He just kind of like slowly inches his, her way into having sex with him because they do have to consummate their marriage. So there is a scene where her and Caldrogo make love outside of their tent under the stars and the whole Calisar is watching, which then leads to the other romantic couples to also have sex under the stars. So the Dothraki do make love. It's just not very common and not shown very often on the show. Um, so thanks, guys. Love the show, love the pod, keep it up, bye. Okay, okay, I get it. This, regarding your last comment, the, the, the Dothraki do make love under the stars in the, uh, in the books, but um, it is becoming a bit of a pattern here of book readers attempting to make sense of things that, that they might see differently than show watchers because they have book knowledge. I stand by my decision to rip that line from Danny. Because nothing about the Dothraki in the show, and we are a podcast for the television show, nothing about them in the show ever is making love or or uh, under the stars in some romantic fashion. She was getting brutally raped for at the beginning. It was brutal. It was it was not nice. It wasn't. And I'm with you, though. I get it. Uh, what, was there, what was the other stuff we need to comment on here, Jared? Well, you see... <laughs> He <laughs> the look on his face like I just threw him under the bus. There is, these are clampam corrections for something I wasn't involved in the original telling of, That's so I'm true. not exactly sure. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, no, great point about the wildlings. Uh, that why she let Gilly go, Ygritte. She recognized her as a wildling, hit her with the sh sign, and let her go. Big, big, uh, big reason for that. So yes, thank you for clarifying that as well. That's it for the hotline calls this week. 86643 clams. Every week we pick the ones that we think make the most sense to play. Now let's get into it. 
Season 4, Episode 9, the penultimate episode of Season 4, The Watchers on the Wall, written by Benioff and Weiss, and directed by Neil Marshall. Bear really missed out like, let, letting me be here for the penultimate episode. Right? I mean, it couldn't be helped. We didn't want to have to take a week off. Jared, you're a great fill-in. Thank you. I also will say, when Ross said to me that this was the episode that I would be uh, helping cover, I literally said... My favorite scene in this show was in this episode. Yes. It's one of my favorites, too. It's not my favorite, but it is your favorite. Oh, and yeah. we will get to it. Yes. I'm excited about that. We open at the wall, which is where we stayed the entire episode. Uh, as our intern, Luke, just pointed out to us, there's only one other episode where there is, that has happened. And it's the Battle of the Blackwater, also directed by Neil Marshall, which is interesting. Maybe he's like their go-to expert when they want to stay in one setting. Maybe he's lazy. That could be it as well, if you want to take the, the protagonist uh, point of view. Pessimistic, negative. I'm, I'm the uh, protagonist for pessimists. Good. Okay. Anyway, we open with a shot of the wall. And Sam and John are standing on top of it. They're looking out at the forest, waiting, watching, you know, hoping. They're, they're, they're in charge of making sure they see when people breach the line of the forest, basically, to come attack. And uh, Sam asked John, what was she like? He's asking about Ygritte. John is not very poignant or poignant, as Jared would say on our other show, uh, Freezo Motor Functions. He tries to he tries to explain Ygritte. He says she, uh, you know, she had red hair, and Sam's like, "Oh, how big were her feet?" Mocking John because he, that's a terrible. That's all he had. Yeah, red hair. He's like, what do you want me to say? And Sam's like, I want you to tell me what it was like to have someone, to be with someone, to love someone, and have them love you back. Is he referencing sex or He's sex referencing, and love or just it's love? the whole package. Okay. The relationship aspect of being with another human being that you love and the physical part of it, the emotional part of it. Because you got to remember, at this point, Sam, in his head, Gilly is dead. Mm -hmm. He believes she has been murdered at Molestown by the Wildlings. Uh, he says, we're all going to die a lot sooner than I had planned, and you're the closest I'll ever get to knowing. So he's trying to get this, this information out of John. At that point, John asks Sam if he would have broken his vows for Gilly. And Sam gets into a very interesting reading of the fine print of the Night's Watch. He, he points out that their vows never specifically forbid intimate relations with women. It says, I shall take no, no wife. Yes, that's in there. There's no denying that. I shall father no children. It's very specific. But what our vows have to say about other activities is open to interpretation. I thought this was really cool that they took the time to like point out how most general like shit like that can be broken down to being like, you know, up to interpretation. It seems like because it's so very, very clearly open for interpretation, why wouldn't more people be fucking and being like, yeah, it's totally fine? I think that's part of the reason so many members of the Night's Watch have no problem with rolling to Molestown and getting their bone on mm -hmm. with the hookers. Because, and at one point, I think it's Maester Eamon who says like, look, if we executed all of the members of the Night's Watch who broke their vows, the wall would be manned by uh, ghosts or something like yeah. that. Or, or headless men. Thank you, intern Luke. The wall would be manned by headless men. So, yeah, I mean, this needed to be pointed out. I, I needed someone to acknowledge that their vows don't specifically forbid them from having sex or, like, engaging in physical relationship. You just can't get married, and you can't have kids, specifically. So what I didn't get here with this scene was when John's like, uh, I don't think Thorne would care too much about... Uh, 
what do you say? Like the interpretation. Right. And then Sam says, it's so it doesn't matter because we haven't broken them. But doesn't he know John has had sex? So I was really confused about this. Why he said that? Because he doesn't see having sex as breaking the vows. But it seems like in this conversation, like it's all about whether or not it's open for interpretation. And he's saying Alistair would not care about their interpretation. I don't know. It just, it is what it is. I like spent 10 minutes trying to think about that little line Sam said and how it fit in. And it seemed to me like it really didn't. So if you also were confused by that, maybe it was just me know that. I think that that was kind of just something that was like mistakenly said that you shouldn't read into. There you go. Yeah. Um, John attempts to try and explain what love is like to Sam and he fails miserably and he ends up just getting really frustrated and being like, Oh, I don't know. I'm not a bleeding poet. That was my John. That was pretty good. I don't think it was. That, I don't even know if that was the correct accent. But it is, that's what I've got for you, okay? That's the best I can do. Sam heads down the elevator cage, which I still have to argue. The, the, the biggest piece of technology that makes the least amount of sense in the entirety of the Game of Thrones universe is this motherfucking elevator that they're somehow able to... It's just Ollie down there. A small child... The way it appears to be set up is it's like a crank and you have to crank it around to get it to go up and down. But then later in this episode, we see Ollie, you only have to get the crank started. I can explain this to you in five seconds. Please do. Okay. So the elevator is in the middle and there's a big, huge weight on either side of it. One is always up and one is always down. Turning the little lever switches it over to the other weight. So it's already down. You switch it over to the weight that's up, and then the weight drops, lifting up the the elevator. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Scientist. I'm sorry I played with a lot of pulleys when I was a child. Wow. Pulley expert, Jared. Thank you for that explanation. Anyways, yes. the, the, the other part of it, okay, is... Uh, whatever, I'll leave the elevator alone for now. It just bugs me. <laughs> it just bugs me that this thing exists. And... Uh, Anyway, he John takes the next watch alone. He like sends Sam down the elevator. Then we see an owl land on the wall, and it's very clearly like, okay, this is going to be the Thin's warg. And then we see the Thin, and he's got his eyes rolled in the back of his head, and they're all white. And it's that Thin bugs me. I thought I thought he was the Undertaker at first. Yeah, you did. It's confusing. A lot of a lot of wrestling fans are confused by that that mm-hmm. scene in particular. Uh, this takes us right into the Wilding camp, where Tormund tells everyone about Sheila. And uh, Sheila, it turns out, is the name of the bear he tells everyone he had sex with. <laughs> sexual relations. Is this that is a, a bragging thing? It is, apparently is for Tormund. He likes this to be part of his legacy, his uh, his whole character that he wants the wildlings to see him as a bear fucker. Which harkens me back to Super Troopers when there is literally a scene where one of the cops pretends to fuck a bear in the woods and the other police officers yell out at him, uh, Attention, bear fucker! Do you need assistance? It's one of the funniest things in any movie I've ever seen. Um, anyway, Tormund says he fucked this bear named Sheila. He's getting into like the details of it, how she was soft down below. Go on. <laughs> you like that, Jared? <laughs> and uh, before we can enjoy the full-length version of this bear-banging story, Egret's angry arrow-making ass interrupts, and she's like, we all know you never fucked a bear, dude. And she just goes on like angrily making these arrows. She's been doing this for two episodes, maybe three. Just cranking out arrows because she's furious. She's so angry with her Jon Snow situation that all she can do is make arrows. Jared, thoughts? 
Yeah. How many errors has she made at this point? Hundreds. Because it seems like she doesn't even use them. Like she, a lot of times she'll take out other people's errors okay. and get shot. I was hard on this. Like I was pretty rough on like in my mind, not on the show necessarily. But I was saying like this is ridiculous. She's been making errors this whole time. She would have too many errors. Well, you have to think of it this way. She could have given some to somebody else. All right? okay. Maybe somebody else needed errors too. Also, all she does for the entire battle is literally shoot, reload, shoot, reload, shoot, reload. Shoot. She's shooting arrows for like 40 straight minutes. That's true. So she could have run through a couple hundred arrows. You know what I'm saying? Maybe she needed them all. Whatever. Good so, on her for finding a productive use of anger. And her anger is this all just settled on John's betraying her? I think it's more of like she's angry with herself because she's in love with John and he, he's not a wildling. Um, she's angry with the situation that they're in, like wildlings versus the Night's Watch, wildlings versus everybody south of the wall. She just can't really win here. Like, you know what I mean? There's no... What is she supposed to do? Yeah. But Run off and join <laughs> the Night's Watch? They would kill her immediately. What is she supposed... She can't... There's no right move for regret. It's like just a really regrettable situation. Really regrettable? Is that what you're thinking? I thought it after I said it. Well, what I'm wondering is like... Do you, she seems though so dead set on killing Jon Snow, saying nobody else. If you if you try to kill him, I'll kill you. Like, but she could. It's like that. She's torn. I think because it's like on one hand, yeah. She if if somebody's gonna kill Jon Snow, it's gonna be her, and she wants everybody to know that. On the other hand, it's like she also wants to save him and protect him. I think you know. Little did she know, if anybody was gonna kill Jon Snow, it was Ollie, who also kills her, which is a nice little uh, comparison there. That is a very good point. Irony. Yeah. Is that irony? I don't know. I just like doing the irony in the high voice from What's Family that Guy. from? It's from Family Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, anyway. Ygritte goes on to... She explains like the general concept for wildlings disliking uh, crows, if you will. She says, they came up here to our land. They put up this big wall and said it was theirs. Then they started hunting us down. This time, we're the ones doing the hunting. But it's. I think this is an important line for everybody watching who's still kind of lost on where the beef between the wildlings and the people south of the wall began. And this is the perfect explanation. What you, It's this disconnect, though, because Egret doesn't understand. They put up the wall to try to protect everybody from the fucking White Walkers. That's lost on the wildlings. They don't get it. They're like, hey, fuck you guys. Tried to make this land yours. But really, that's not what they're doing. They're trying to make it safe for everyone just so happens that the people north of the wall aren't benefiting from that, right? Yeah, but like it also prevents the people from north of the wall from getting south of the wall. So they're stuck like food for the freaking White Walkers. Which is a legitimate beef. It's just not the one they think they have. You see what I'm saying? It's like yeah. they believe that these people, it's just their whole perspective is different. Okay, but like let's say we're on a sinking cruise ship and like you shut the door behind you and it locks and I can't and I'm just going to die there. Like I hate you specifically and I think you're completely at fault. <laughs> Doesn't it doesn't matter that like I was saving other people. Yeah. Like right. you were you were preventing the water from getting in and flooding the rest of it. Yeah. But you didn't give a fuck about the people on the other side of the door. Look, I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong here. I'm just saying it's interesting to get a little bit of a perspective from the wildling point of view on why they hate crows so much. It's it's really related to like the ontological question if the moon was made of Swiss cheese, would you eat it? It's exactly the same. Yeah. Well, we get more on this too later in the episode when uh, Maester Eamon points out, he's like, look, man, you're, you're, you're reading all about, well, fuck, we're about to get to it, so I'll just save it. 
Anyway, that's again when Jared, you, you brought this up already, but Egret makes the point of telling all the other wildlings, all the thins, everyone that Jon Snow is hers. She's the one who gets to kill them. If anyone else tries, she'll have an arrow for them because she's Egret, the angry archer with the arrows. I like that alliteration. She makes the arrows. All of them. Oh, God. As the season comes to a close, we see a woman hooded carrying something, sneaking by like above the wildling squad. And I was like, who the fuck was that? I didn't know that was either. It's Gilly. Yeah. But I, I literally like hit pause and was like, what the fuck was that? Because it's very unclear. And Taylor, my wife, was like, that's Gilly and her baby. Duh. I thought it was some sort of Russian babushka. It, that's what exactly what it looked like. It was a babushka situation. <laughs> it's just a weird scene. I get it. I get that that's Gilly and little Sam. I get that now. But it's never something I've noticed before. And it was just poorly done. Totally unnecessary. It doesn't help you like piece together like, okay, Gilly's still sneaking away from Molestown. She sneaks right by the wildlings. It does kind of come into play. Because she, she brings it up. I had I, to rewatch it twice to see if, if this was a different scene, if it was like, or what was going on. I was confused. It was weird. Anyway, I just hope, I hope, I'm glad you too didn't quite get what that was at first because it weirded me out. Not at all. Next thing you know, we're inside Castle Black and Samuel Tarly gets caught by Maester Eamon reading in the library in the dark with a candle because that's what nerds do. They sneak mm. into libraries late at night to read with candles. Sneaking into libraries late at night. Samuel does this later on in the series. He just can't get enough. He's a big library guy. Everybody knows that about Samuel. Uh, what he's doing in there is reading Maester Fall, which is uh, F-A-U-L-L, just for the record. He tells Maester Eamon this. He's trying to find out more about the wildlings and specifically what they do during their raids because he wants to know just what happened to his girlfriend, Gilly. Yes. He wants to know. I think it's like partially probably he wants to know if there's any chance she's alive, but really he just wants to feel closer to her by knowing specifically how she could have gone out. Boiled, flayed. Yes, all the things that mentioned later and burned. All eaten the, by all a fen. Not good. None of, the, none of these things are good options. They're not. Um, Eamon harkens back to a quote that he has told Jon Snow. He says, love is the death of duty. I told that to your friend Jon Snow once. He didn't listen and neither did you, which is why you've abandoned your watch to top the wall to come here and read the terrible things that may have happened to the girl you love. Uh, he goes on to remind Sam who he was before he came there, who Maester Eamon was, what he could have been if he had only said the word, as he puts it. How many girls he could have gotten, basically, as as Amon Targaryen. Man, he's just really rubbing it in. He is. He's like, dude, I used to fuck hard. I slayed so many chicks. You should have seen how many chicks were trying to become like my girlfriend because I was going to be king. And one of them succeeded. She she was so good at boning that I fell in love with her. He literally even says, like, oh, man, right now I can picture her. She's more real than you are, you little puny bitch. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. Because he's, well, he's blind, but it's still yeah. fucked up that he's like, she's more real to me than you are. <laughs> Just an unnecessary line. Sam's like, hey, I'm quite real. Damn. Mean. Uh, but yeah, he says he can, he can tell Sam everything about her, who she was, how they met, the color of her eyes, the shape of her nose. He can see her right there in front of him. Um, drops a good quote. Nothing makes the past a sweeter place to visit than the prospect of imminent death. <laughs> Wow. I don't know why that's funny to me. Okay. But it is. <laughs> it's, dark. It's, it's very true, but it's very it's very weirdly put. The prospect of imminent death is just funny to me. He tells him. It's like your life flashing before your eyes. Right. Yeah. But it's a really weird way of saying it. It is. It is. 
He tells uh, Sam to go to bed, so he does. And on the way to bed, he hears a woman yelling to try to get in the gate. And, oh, my God, it's Gilly. What? And Pip is refusing to open the gate. He's like, I've been told not to open the gate. I can't open the gate. And Sam's like, Pip, open the fucking gate. And we hear Sam cuss. Yeah. He says the F-bomb. And we hear, you know, Gilly is just speaking Russian this whole time because he's a babushka. Yeah. Sam apologizes profusely to Gilly. She's like, dude, what the fuck? You let me in Molestown. That place was awful. They didn't even have Lisa mattresses. And he assures her, from now on, wherever you go, I go to, and I will make sure that we'll get Lisa mattresses. There's good news here. You don't have to worry, like Gilly, about ever sleeping without a Lisa mattress again, because you are a member of the Clam Fam, baby, and you listen to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles. What's up, Luke? Nothing. Just hanging. Uh, so you can go to lisa.com slash dragon and get $160 off your Lisa mattress and this is important for a lot of reasons. A quality night's sleep helps you recover from distractions faster. It prevents burnout. You'll make better decisions, improve your memory, overall make fewer mistakes. And this isn't marketing, it's science. To design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing science to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. So maybe you're shaped like Sam, a little portly. That's fine. Maybe you're shaped more like Gilly, who off the show is like a freaking runway model. Either way, you're going to get a great night's sleep on a Lisa mattress. Their mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress to ev- for every 10 they sell. They've donated more than 26,000 mattresses and counting. They're leaving the world a better place than when they found it. And that doesn't stop with the mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, they're also planting one tree for every mattress they sell and committed to planting 1 million trees by 2025. Clam fam, you've heard me talk about Lisa mattresses again and again and again. Jared also sleeps on one. Is my, fortunate enough to oh have Lisa God. pillows as well. Do you love it? Lisa, th- this pillow and mattress have changed my life. I would not endorse this product if I didn't love it. I sleep on it every freaking night, and it makes my life infinitely better. I sleep better. I live better. I'm awake better. All optimized. You are woke. Don't end up like Gilly at Molestown. Go to lisa.com slash dragon today. Get $160 off your Lisa mattress. Unfortunately, to jump back into the episode here, right after Sam drops this sweet line on her, from now on, wherever you go, I go too, and I'll make sure we get Lisa mattresses, uh, a horn sounds. And it it's not a good... The horn... Never good to hear a horn. Well, what's one blast is returning Watchmen... Two is... Rangers returning, yeah. Two is wild, Wildlings. And, th- and three is White Walkers. Yeah. And you never get three. <laughs> until you do. Yeah. Until you do. So we flash over to the owl again, who's still hanging out there inconspicuously. Nobody's noticed this big fucking furry owl. You gotta shoot the owl. You shoot the owl. If you ever see an owl, it's a warg. <laughs> it's a thin warg. Take that owl out. Uh, maybe get like an owl license first. They, they probably don't sell uh, those. I don't think record, owls are like a trophy we don't, bird. We don't actually condone owl murder. We would appreciate it if you would not kill owls and then say that OCC told you to. Uh, anyway, that thin warg like flashes back into himself and he's like, he tells Tormund and his wilding squad, it's time. How does he know it's time, Jared? The fire? He synced it. He synced the fire. Jon Snow runs back out, looks out from the wall. And that's where he sees it, too. It's the biggest fire the North has ever seen, apparently, which is like a quarter-mile stretch of forest on fire. Seems like they could have gone bigger, but who am I to judge? That was not a large fire. We had this fire built up for seasons, 
multiple seasons, we've heard this man, Mance, talk about how he's going to build the biggest fire the North has ever seen. Jon Snow has regurgitated those words again and again. The biggest fire the North has ever seen. Then we get the biggest fire the North has ever seen, and it's a quarter-mile stretch of forest. Probably took 20 minutes to set that fire. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of just like throw a few matches every like 20 feet for about a quarter mile, and that's what you get. I really don't know what I wanted or expected in terms of fire size. I just didn't think it would. I was like, oh, okay. That's it? That's the biggest fire the North has ever seen? I mean, relatively speaking, it's a large fire. But is it the biggest fire? Like, there are wildfires that happen very frequently around the world it's that part are much of nature. bigger than that. Luke's upset with our tick. What, Luke, he thinks say, it was a what? pleasantly sized fire. What? Defend it. Th- this is the North, and all they get is snow. So, I mean... You make a good point. It, it's, this isn't a place where dryness is causing forest fires. Because it's just snowing all true. the time. It's very wet. Ah, oh, whatever. That fire was weak. It's a weak fire. I'm just saying the fire was weak. Uh, the point is the battle is on here. And everything at the wall suddenly turns into chaos. Preparing barrels, barrels of oil. People running around doing all the shit that people do when they're preparing to get rocked. And this is the point where I thought this is probably the strangest part of the episode. Jon Snow runs into uh, Sir Alistair Thorne, acting Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And Alistair says, you can say it if you like. We should have sealed the tunnel when we had the chance, like you suggested. What the fuck made him remember, like, realize this now? I actually really like this speech here from Thorne. The speech is great, and it's very redeeming. This I mean, is not that. He realized he's fucked because he didn't listen to John, and so he wants to like give John a little bit of encouragement and wisdom before they die. But much. think about all the shit that happens from here on out. He still betrays John. Yeah, but he, he, he literally says, after this battle... You'll go back to hating me. I'm going to go back to wishing that you were dead, basically. Yeah. I mean, I okay. It's just weird to me that he admits this to him for pretty much no reason. The, the army hasn't even descended from the forest yet. There's nothing different about what he's looking at now other than the fire, I guess. You could have been totally blown away by how big this fire was. It wasn't that big at all. That would make him be like, oh, shit, you were right. You can say it. You know what I mean? We should have sealed the fucking tunnel. War does crazy things to people, as you see with Jano Slint. So maybe he's just that's not, true. Not in a great mindset. What a pussy that guy is! Wow, <laughs> he's the upum from Saving Private Ryan. Yes, of, dude. Of Game oh of my god, so frustrating. Anyway, Sam takes Gilly and locks her away in this safe place, uh, and she tries to get him to stay with her. She says, "You won't matter up there. You will down here," which basically translates to, "You suck dick at fighting, but as my boyfriend, your emotional support would be meaningful." <laughs> Just kind of hurtful. That's pretty rude, but like he's something. like, damn, dude. Uh, but she tells her he's a man. She's, he's a man of the Night's Watch. He has a duty and an oath. Yada yada yada. Gilly kisses him, and uh, Taylor commented as we were watching this together. Sam doesn't look like he'd be a good kisser. So just taking, just <laughs> kicking him while he's down. I mean, also, I have this duty to uphold. I have a, I have a vow I can't break. And then he just sits down below the fence line and hands arrows to people. I mean, that's literally the lowest. No, no, it's not anything. He's sitting down. He can't get hit unless somebody shoots an arrow into the into the fence. Okay, it's a good point. It's also of note that he's passing arrows to someone who has no idea what to do with them. Pip is just firing his crossbow off in the distance, not hitting anyone. Honestly, they're probably better off with Pip dead because he was wasting less ammo. He was wasting a ton of ammo and making Sam useless as his uh, reloader, basically. I mean, if you're looking at his kill death ratio, it's one to one. For Pip. Yes, it literally is one-to-one. It's not great. Quite literally, it's not a great kill-to-death ratio at all, no. 
Gilly makes Sam promise me you won't die. Sam says, I promise you I won't die. Then he goes back to the top of the wall to keep preparing. He runs into Pip, who's freaking out and wants to know if Sam is scared too. And Sam's like, yeah, I am scared. And Pip's like, well, then how'd you kill a bloody White Walker if you're scared of some wildlings? Sam explains to Pip that in that moment he had no choice and that in that moment he wasn't Samuel Tarley, son of Randall Tarley or a brother of the Night's Watch. He was nothing at all, quote, and when you're nothing at all, there's no more reason to be afraid. I thought that was cool because it kind of like calls back to the faceless men, how they tell you to be no one. That's all part of the reasoning. If you're no one, you'll always do the right thing because there's no reason for you not to. Um, and that matters. For it, It's pointed out immediately why it matters. Pip says, but you're afraid now? And Sam says, yes, well, I'm not nothing anymore. Now that he is in love with Gilly, and now that this love has been kind of reciprocated for him by her kissing him, he's scared again. You know what I'm saying? Like, fear yeah. is not existing unless there's a reason for it. Too. Well, this concept of no one, you know, no one, no one, no one can get in the way of what I'm feeling. Alicia Keys said it, and I think it works very well here. You're doing song lyrics. Yeah, I mean, but, it, but it works. Okay. You know? Ipso facto, love is the shackles that hold us down. Yeah. Um, is that what you're saying, Jared? Yeah. That's your point? Home is where I want to be. <laughs> they they want to be home. They don't want to be here at Castle Black. Okay. Okay. Next, we get a shot of Egret scouting. She's checking out the situation at the wall. And we see, and it should be noted, this is the uh, southern front of the wall. We see that they're incredibly close to Sam and Pip and that whole squad. They're right there. The wildlings are right the fuck there. I feel like they could have seen their smoke from their fire. It, you would, yeah. I, but it's the dumbass squad. Yeah. It's like Sam and Pip and the dumbasses, <laughs> like the shitty guys who they just, they kind of got stuck defending the southern front. But if they know that they already are over the wall and they killed Molestown, why would they not put some good guys? That's a really good question. I they seriously do know about Molestown. So what the fuck is up with that? Why is Pip the main archer? Southern front <laughs> of the wall. Pip. Yeah, I he's don't know. taking advice from Sam on how to shoot. Well, it should be noted that uh, the guys in charge of the Night's Watch currently, being Alistair and and his, uh, you know, his buddy, what's his name? Janos Slint. Janos. They're awful. Not At, good. They're not good at their jobs for the most part. So, I mean, maybe that's part of the reason. Anyway, Egret uh, tells Torment. That these dudes are right there, that they, that, you know, what she just saw. And Tormund and his band of wildlings on the southern side of the wall begin their attack. Meanwhile, north of the wall, Mance Raider's army of 100,000 strong, or at least part of it, comes out from the woods very in a very, like, gladiator, the first scene of gladiator, you know, when the, that army comes out from the forest. The Romanians, I believe they are, just yelling. It's the exact same thing, pretty much. They begin their march on the wall. They've got giants riding mammoths, giants walking. Uh, really, the giants are the focal point here. Okay. The best thing about the giants, which we'll see in a little bit, you know, chronologically, they have the biggest comically large arrows. Yes. <laughs> the shot of where he shoots the first one and it just takes the entire roof off right. of the, the area of the wall was incredible. The giants... First of all, that's one of the, the the shot where he hits the guy and the guy goes oh flying God. like three hundred yards through the air. That's one of the best gifs or gifs, depending on what your pronunci preferred pronunciation is, ever made that I've ever used on Twitter. I love that gif. It's just the dude flying through the air. <laughs> um, but yeah, those the giants 
are effective in battle. They're, they're big, and they're first off, they're very daunting, angry, very hairy. I would uh, if I, if they were knighted, I would call them Sir Dantos because they're daunting. Ross, thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. So anyway. Back at the top of the wall, Alistair Thorne is giving his men... He gives them the order to notch and hold. Immediately, Grin drops a barrel of oil over the wall accidentally, <laughs> which obviously is not the definition of holding. And Alistair yells out something along the lines of like, Damn it, you cunts. I said notch and hold, not draw and drop. This essentially serves as a nice little reminder right before the battle begins that most of the guys at the Night's Watch are very very poorly and minimally trained these dudes have no fucking idea what they are doing which begs the question shouldn't they be at least a little bit better than this i mean they we see them training on a daily basis yeah but they're training against each other and if none of them are good fighters like they literally bring john on and they're like hey john teach everybody everything yeah that's true very limited amount of experience i just Based on what we see from Alistair, he's a pretty good swordsman. He's got some good fighting abilities. I mean, they should have been able to train some of these fun. I, it, it, it's I think Alistair, John and Grin, and yes. that's fucking it. I think Alistair Thorne could kill every single member of the Night's Watch by himself. Including I think he's, John? No, not John, but like everybody else. All the other guys. All the other shitheads. Probably. They're all terrible. They're bad at fighting. Somehow they managed to survive this episode, at least some of them. Anyway, the point is they're all poorly trained. Um, and it turns out things could get worse because they immediately do as another horn blows. And it's not the horn for the north side of the wall. It's the horn for the southern front, alerting them that they're being attacked from there at the southern gate as well. Alistair is immediately like, fuck, okay, I got to go help them. Hey, brother Slint, the wall is yours. And Jano Slint, noted douchebag uh, from King's Landing, is now in charge he's of the a, most important, probably, part of the wall. And he's great at leading this. He's <laughs> the consummate leader that we've all been waiting for. He's the king who was promised. He is. He's the, yes. The prince who was promised. Egret uh, is just posted up, picking people off south of the wall. She must kill like a hundred people alone by herself in this episode, which is weird because there's only like a hundred people at the wall, period. I like that one scene where she ducks out of the way of a flaming arrow and then and then like picks it up and kills a guy with it. Yeah. That was nuts. She's going off. Um and again, I'd just like to call into question the math here. I think we were told hundred and two people, hundred and two members of the Night's Watch. We're supposed to believe that hundred and two people survived this entire length of this episode we're watching. I swear to God, if you went back and counted, Egret has to kill 20 people by herself. She's <laughs> one person. Okay? I'm just saying. The math is a little shaky. That one Fen kills a lot of people, too. Yeah, he at least 15, right? So we're at 35? <laughs> yeah, I think we got the running total going. This is bad. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. Um, Sam is trying to help Pip reload a crossbow over and over, but Pip just keeps missing because he's Pip. Uh, Alistair Thorne finally gets down there. He makes a really solid speech. About, I love this speech. About how a hundred generations defended Castle Black and she's never fallen, how uh, she won't fall tonight. And uh, he wraps up the speech and it kind of served to me as like the only redeeming moment of his entire existence. I After this speech, I was like, not only is this guy a great leader 
he parlayed that right into kicking people's asses. Yeah, immediately goes out and just starts throwing down. It was awesome. I was like, dude, I kind of like Alistair Thorne in it's this a, exact moment. It's a bummer that he chose to be like the anti-John Snow guy because he could have been a really nice little piece of the Night's Watch. You, you know? know what? I'll say the same thing about Ollie. Ollie, you know, he thought he was doing a good job killing Egret. He uh, did. But, you know, he, that, if he hadn't killed Jon Snow, maybe he would have had some cool arc. That's a good point. He could have been an archer. Said he got hung. Should have been a cowboy. Hung by the neck. Indeed, he did. Until death. Until death. Until death. Do us part. Um, anyway, the Thins make their way over the wall, the southern front, and the sword play begins. Right? They're just fighting going on all the fuck over the place now. It turns out Sir Alice are pretty good at fighting. All the sword scenes we get with him here are pretty tight. He's a good little... Uh, little warrior unfortunately we bounce from what is a good little bit of fighting to pip and sam again and they're bailing from the spot that they were using the crossbow from and it turns out that's a very good thing because Tormund immediately comes through just slaughtering and wrecking people Tormund is a badass Tormund is the shit quite the he's a just a fucking unit of a man he is so big he is yeah great big beard back at the top of the wall jano slint is having a total and complete meltdown <laughs> This is his first line to his newly appointed uh, men in his position. No discipline, no training. A gang of thieves, that's all this is. I commanded the city watch of King's Landing. Those men obeyed order. And John's like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? We can't just let them attack the gate. And Janos is like, the bars of those gates are four inches of cold rolled, rolled steel. And uh, John's like, those are giants riding mammoths down there. Do you think your cold rolled steel is going to stop them? And Janos' response to that is, no such thing as giants, a story for the children. <laughs> uh, they're right there, my man. You can see them, bro. Look straight down. I've always said this. Janos Slint is what Varys would look like if he'd never gotten his balls cut off. <laughs> if he just had a little bit of, of masculine features. He's got some facial hair. Yeah. A little testosterone is all he needed. And yeah, that, that, that's actually my theory is that they're the same person. Okay. That's a good one theory. one with more tea. Uh-huh. From, from having uh, balls. Okay, so as Janos is having this meltdown, Grin comes up with a genius plan. He like pretends to bail for a second, and then he comes back pretending like he has a message. He's like, Brother Slint, Sir Alistair needs you down below. And Janos is like, down below, yes. Oh, God, anywhere but here. And immediately leaves. It's a good trick to get his dumbass to go away. And immediately Jon Snow takes his place commanding the men at the top of the wall in his defense. They're shooting arrows, picking off wildlings as, as they begin to climb the wall. They've got this weird situation where they're like, all right, people are trying to climb up the wall. We should hang guys off the side of the wall and have them put their feet on the wall with rope tied to their back and then shoot arrows straight down. In theory, great idea. Is it? First, I just think how terrifying that would be. It's like, not a good idea in theory either. I don't know. I think it's a good idea in theory. You can shoot straight down at people then. How about lean over? How about just throw more shit off? Why, why the arrows? Because it looks way cooler. How accurate are you going to be hanging off the side of the wall, upside down, with rope tied to your back, your feet on the ice, shooting arrows? Very. Very? <laughs> That's your answer? They also, hit some of them. Okay, they, I'm just saying, this is, this is a bit weird. Now, I will say, though, at that one point when one of the guys holding the ropes got shot, That's a and problem. he let go, and the dude just fell off the wall, why do they not tie a knot? <laughs> <laughs> Tie a knot at the end of that rope, and then it can't go over. And again, these guys have no training at all. 
and we're deciding now that the best move is to have one of them hold a rope attached to another one of them while they hang over the wall shooting arrows straight down. This is another pulley situation, I must add. It is. It is. It could have been a great pulley situation had only a knot been applied as a safety net. Yeah, you know, a, a knot. A knot at the end would have kept everything going. A knot a day whatever. keeps the doctor away is what they say. I'm going to go lay by the bay, make things out of clay, need some hay. I just may. What do you say? That's from Happy Gilmore. I, I thought you were pulling that out of your ass. No. No. I mean, I did pull it out of my ass, but it is from Happy, Happy Gilmore, specifically. I apologize. Um, when, are, when are we talking about my favorite scene? Very soon. Very soon. Okay. So, they're shooting arrows. As I said, they're picking people off. They've got those guys hanging off. Then a giant comes. Uh, oh, God. We get this shot of one of the wildlings attempting to shoot an arrow up at the top of the wall. And it makes it like 30 feet up in the air before turning back towards the earth. And it's just the most pathetic, limp, like limp dick moment <laughs> ever. And immediately this dude just gets power cucked by one of the giants who comes and takes a knee next to him, pulls out a giant bow and a massive giant <laughs> arrow uh, and just aims it up. He misses on his first shot, which takes the roof off, like we mentioned. But his second shot, he hits a dude clean takes this dude right off the wall, throws him all the way back to the southern part where all the fighting is going on down there. So what, this guy probably... How, how far up is it supposed to be? Really fucking uh, yeah, far. Yeah, like a quarter mile or something. This guy travels an insane amount of fucking distance in with an arrow through him and then just gets popped into the ground. It's brutal. Not ideal. No, not ideal at all. Uh... So the main Thin, who's the Thin that we were introduced to first, right? He's the bald one. He's the one who talked all about why cannibalism is so great and how Tormund really needs to try Crow before he dies. He's just going around wrecking people with his hammer. Like, it's a sweet hammer, too. It's like a... Yeah. I guess it's technically a mace. Like a giant mace. I mean, would you just call that a warhammer at that point? Oh, whatever. It is what it is. Ollie's just hiding beneath the stairs like a little bitch, but it turns out he's there for a reason. He's supposed to be turning that crank. He's cranking it. <laughs> and Ygritte uh, is just still picking off person after person with her arrows. Jano Slint comes down elevator. You like that? Down elevator. Yeah, you like that. And uh, he's, you know, cowering like a little bitch. He's, he pulls a set of keys and he goes to hide in the room. And hey, it's the same room Gilly is in. Awkward. Nothing really comes of this. No, it's just he's just a coward. He's a total he's a total impotent cuck. He's a big pussy. Sam's still helping Pip reload this crossbow over and over. At this point, I think they're working a two crossbow system where like he shoots the it's like when you go shoot skeet if you're a rich guy. You shoot the shotgun, they hand you another shotgun. Or not skeet, dove hunting. I'm not a I'm not a dove hunter, nor am I a rich guy, but I've seen photos of rich guys do this. <laughs> you uh you shoot a dove. You hand the shotgun to the worker next to you, and they hand you an already loaded other shotgun. Is that a good enough explanation? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? So that's what Sam's got going with Pip. And guess what? Pip finally hits one of the wildlings right through the heart. He's dead. And he's Whoa. all psyched. Good tells, job, Pip. Yeah, he tells Sam, and Sam's like, oh, is it over? This is the most sarcastic episode Sam ever has. He's like, oh, you did it? Did you end the battle? And Pip's like, no. And Sam's like, well then, and hands him the other crossbow. Uh, which he has to feel bad about because when Pip pops up to do more work, an arrow takes him right through the neck. So right the last through. thing Sam said to his friend was just a sarcastic, smarmy dick move. And then, and then Pip ended up looking like a weather vane with that neck. 
Yeah, he did. He didn't. That's okay. Weird, but uh, yes. 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 Yeah, so Sam Holt Pips as he, as he dies. R.I.P. Pip. I we hardly knew ye. You didn't really have a good run, so I won't say you had a good run. We did kind of hardly know ye. Other than you kind of being wimpy and being terrible with a crossbow, not a lot of redeeming moments from Pip. I would say that there is no, there's no grief on my part over this death. I, but you did feel like, okay, we've known this character for several seasons. Meaningful people are going to die here. But like, do you care about Pip? No. That's what I'm saying. He didn't really yeah. play any role. It was a nice little side guy to knock off and make it feel like it had some meaning. It's like when Hodor died. It's like, eh. Oh, come on. You don't mean that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I you don't Hodor. mean that. Atop the wall, Jon Snow starts ordering his men to unload these barrels of oil. These are tight, and they're actually very effective at deterring the wildlings and the giants from the gate. When they hit, they explode, right? Not good. You don't want to be in the way of that shit. Oil is uh, flam- flammable? Flamboyant? Flammable. Flamboyantly flammable. It's flamboyantly flammable. Um, at least temporarily, this does effectively hold off the wildlings, but then the next thing you know, they're hooking up a mammoth with chains to the gate. They're working crowbars on both sides yep. and shit. There's another giant pulling a rope. I mean, all the stops are being pulled out here. And that's when the gate starts creaking and you're like, oh, fuck, this is not good. John immediately tells Grin. He's like, grab five dudes. I don't know why he picked the number five. I guess it's just something he could spare. He's like, go hold the gate. The inside gate. Yeah. And as Grin, you know, turns to run off, John grabs him by the shoulder and says it again. Hold the gate. If they make it through and Grin's like, they won't. Very important, obviously, that this gate gets held. We know that much. Tormund and Alistair Thorne meet in a gnarly sword fight on the southern front of this whole battle. And it's pretty solid. We got a good thing going here. And you're thinking, hey, maybe this is the moment that Alistair Thorne gets taken out. And then all of a sudden he gets sliced on the stomach and you're like, hey, how about that? But no, no. He just falls off a balcony into a soft pile of snow and then some dudes drag him to safety inside the castle. Boo. Who is this group of guys that essentially their job has been to stand and watch what Alistair does and then if he gets hurt, they're like, drag him to safety and they take him inside. Yeah, they remind me of like, you know, the the people in Mr. Game & Watch, the, the holding the gurney at the bottom of the... Of the uh building when the Mr. Game & Watch jumps out and he bounces back up. You gotta save him. What? It's the Mr. Game & Watch I reference. don't know who that is. Shouts to everybody who gets that. <laughs> wow. I mean, you could've just made that up. No. I didn't make it I'm up. saying this is as much as I know, as far as I know. Anyway, with Pip dead, Sam picks up his crossbow and looks out at the fight and uh, I guess he sees an opportunity for something. He starts to make his move. Unfortunately, a Finn immediately spots his juicy ass and makes a run right at him. He's like, oh, I got to eat this kid. <laughs> oh, he wants... Yeah. I'm eating this... He's meat, a big boy. This meaty some... boy's minds. But Sam, in an unprecedented move, loads up the crossbow, boom, headshot. Boom, headshot. He really loaded that up fast. Nothing about Sam and his character... At any point in the show that we've seen would indicate that he would be perfect. I guess all the practice he just had loading up for Pip? Yeah. Pip died so that Sam could live. You're saying Pip is like Jesus. In a way. For okay. Sam. For Sam. Anyway, great. I just was impressed by that move from Sam. It was, it was, he crushed this thin. 
Was totally that, was this, the, that. this was the big thin too, an important thin, right? It was a big thin. It wasn't the main thin, but it was a thin of uh, significance, significant thin. Anyway, Sam sees Grin and his squad making their way to hold the gate, and Grin tells him that it, they need more men down there, and Sam needs to go tell John. So Sam immediately jumps back in the elevator to go up elevator and tells Ollie's bitch ass to send him to the top and that when they give the signal, he needs to bring him back down. And again, this made me think like, what? It's a pretty important job for this fucking child, this random child. Pretty much the entire battle weighs on whether or not he is man enough to work this crank. <laughs> I'm not making a joke. I'm being serious. Okay, I always wonder this about Ollie. So he his like parents died, right? Uh-huh. In a wildling invasion. He, he they eat his parents. He's like, I'm going to eat your mama. I'm going to eat your papa. Go to Castle Black and tell them what you've seen. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So Ollie got PTSD. Ollie got shafted here. I'm not trying to make another penis joke. Right. Like. His life was, hey, your parents are dead, and now you're in the Night's Watch, and you can't do anything fun. <laughs> His life sucks. Like, yeah. I don't really... He, he killed John, and, like, he's an asshole for that, but, like, dude, this, this guy's whole life is terrible. Okay, yeah, no, I, I, I'm i with you. There's a large contingency of people who are, are like, fuck Ollie, and I'm one of those people, too. Jared, I think you are, too. I think everybody is. I, I hate Ollie, yeah. But we at least have to acknowledge together as a people that Ollie never had a chance. He's kind of <laughs> like Justin Bieber. He got famous too early on in his life. He had no chance. Bieber was always going to be a douchebag. There was nothing he could do to deter that or <laughs> us. Ollie was always fucked. Look at his situation. He's a child. His parents got eaten by Thins, who then told him that they were going to eat his parents. He got sent to the wall. Now he's in charge of the crank. The kid, There's nothing he could have done to be likable. Granted, he does make some poor decisions based on our, our knowledge, but not on his knowledge. He didn't do it. He didn't know what he's doing. After Sam tells him what to do, he's like, uh, hey, find a weapon, Ollie. Fight them. And Ollie looks over at his little Ollie bow which is Ollie-sized <laughs> and is comical for a reason unbeknownst to me. Back on the north side of this whole deal, they drop a ton more flaming barrels of oil onto the giants that are attempting to bridge or breach the gate, which is super effective again. Then they pick one of the giants off who's like the mammoth like turns and runs. I guess he's scared of the barrels of the fire or some shit. And uh, one of the giants turns to chase down the mammoth. And they pick that dude off with a massive scorpion bow thing. It's like the scorpion that is later used in season seven to attack Daenerys' dragons. Which is weird because we are told Kyburn invents that. It's 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 not as strong, maybe. A little smaller. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Also, maybe Kyburn just jacked it. Kyburn isn't the most morally sound man we know. It's possible that he lies. It is very possible. Uh, unfortunately, the one remaining giant down there is now super fucking pissed off because he just watched one of his buddies get scorpioned. The mammoth ran off, and he's like, fuck this. I have the strength of a mother that has seen his child in danger, her child in danger, and he lifts up the gate himself. That's a very strong man. He's got his adrenaline going. Is this 1-1? One, one? No, because this guy dies. Where's 1-1 one, Yeah, 1-1's... One one you know is he hanging back is he the one shooting arrows well as John says at the end of the episode they've got more giants they've got more mammoths 1-1 one, one is too important to risk on the initial testing of the uh, uh, defenses you know yeah it makes sense yeah these are like the this is the Pip and Sam line yes but for the wildlings exactly that is exactly what this is Um, Sam gets up top 
He's up elevator, and he tells John that the wildlings are over the walls, Sir Alistair has fallen, and the castle is not going to stand much longer. And John immediately gets this like heroic look in his eye, like, oh shit, this is my moment. And then he's like, Ed, you have the wall now. And Ed is like, what the, what the <laughs> fuck, man? What this, what's going on up here? And all the other guys working the wall are like, oh, this is good. Just getting command is being passed from person to person all nonchalant <laughs> we're just up here fighting for our lives no big deal now some dude named ed is in charge of us dolorous ed and john is like look ed it's pretty fucking simple if they try the mammoths again drop the fire on them if they climb the walls too high drop the scythe on them and ed's like you know what that's not too hard i can handle that shit turns out management very easy uh john pulls long claw long claw out and he goes to do work down at the northern gate the big angry, angry giant drops the gate behind him. So he's gotten under, uh, like, you know, he picked it up, put it on his back, flipped to the other side, and dropped it. Yep. So, it's just him and the, and, the, and the six dudes. So what was his plan here? Like, he was like, all right, I'm just going to get on the other side and then figure it out? Yeah, I think I mean, if he gets into Castle Black, he can fuck shit up in there. He's just close He just wants to go fuck people up. He wants to stomp on people like an elephant. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, Grin and his boys are there to meet him, one of whom is like, Pissing himself, freaking out, and he wants. Rightfully so, he's about to die. Absolutely no, he's. I'm no hate on this dude. I get it, but Grin has to get the other four dudes to all say the Night's Watch oath with him, and then eventually that fifth dude is pissing himself joins in, and that's the only way they can get all pumped up. And right as the big angry giant hits the gate in front of them, they're screaming the Night's fucking Watch oath, and it's just kind of funny. It's it's like okay, are they shoving the swords through the holes in the (laughs) gate? What does this fight look like? It, the sound it makes makes you think the giant pretty much runs straight through the gate. Yeah. But yes, at that point when they're like readying to fight, it's like, what is your move there? Why didn't they wait like right behind the gate long enough to where the gate could fall over and they wouldn't die? And then like they literally held the gate as in their bodies uh, got smooshed right. under the gate. They they held the gate up with their bodies. I, I don't smushed them. I don't know. I didn't I didn't take it as they got killed by the gate. I took it as like some kind of fight and struggle ensued afterwards and they just all ended up dying. It's like when you watch a boxing match on YouTube and the two people knock each other out at the exact yeah. same time. That's how the giant and all these guys die. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the scene yeah. cuts away before we find out what, what happens with Grin and his suicide squad and this giant. Um, on their way down the elevator, John and Sam are talking and John's like, I don't want you out there. Again, kind of a diss. But also honest. Sam's like, you can't protect me forever. And John hands him a key. And instead of saying, like, it'd be really helpful if you'd go let Ghost out. Or, we could really use a Ghost in this fight. Do you, will you go up in the kennel? He says, I need him more than I need you. Yeah, another just really hard... Uh, Why is everybody dumping on Sam here? It's a burn. Come on, man. There's other ways to phrase these things. Nobody is mincing words in this uh, hard-fought battle here. Seriously, I mean, I get it. it's a good plan. Like, go get go ghost out of the kennel, but you don't have to dump on Sam in the meantime. Whatever. John jumps down. He starts slaying wildling ass. We get this crazy long tracking shot of all the different things going on. Like, Dude, I love that shot. This was sick. It's John fighting. Then he's scoping out the area. Then Egret and her arrows. She's just still picking off people, person after person after person. Again, I have no idea how her body count is low enough for this to maintain the the math. Uh, the thins are just murdering. Tormund's running around fucking shit up. And finally, Sam gets to the kennel. He says, we need you, boy, to ghost as he frees him. It's about fucking time. How many minutes into this fight are we? They still got ghosts chained up. A lot. 
Come a on, lot of minutes. Um, do you think that whole scene was one shot, one take, or is it they piece it together? That would be amazing if it was actually like a one shot take, a one shot scene. I've wondered often. Okay, there was a famous scene in True Detective that was a very long tracking shot, and it's one of the coolest scenes in any show I've ever seen. It's Matthew McConaughey running through this like uh, drug area in Louisiana after going undercover and as a biker. If if that you know clicks in your memory, you're welcome. If not, I'm sorry. But that scene in True Detective was actually one shot. But I always wondered, like, wouldn't isn't there a way they could do some Hollywood camera magic to make it seem like one shot when it's really not? Because that's the feeling I got with this particular scene. That's what they do in that one episode of uh, It's Always Sunny, where right. Charlie is like fixing everything up. They, they, they like, what they'll do is whenever you like go into a new room, the door opens and like, it looks like it's the same door, but really it's well, yeah, a different yeah, yeah. door. But they don't even have, I mean, that's an obvious method that is used all the time. Uh, the one Luke, where something is close, what's up? Where something is close up enough to di- distract you from the fact that a new shot has started, right? Yeah. Like it'll go by a wall or whatever. Cause it does pan across the castle. Like maybe in those pan scenes. I don't recall a part where it could have been broken up. Is it Pan like that? or is it Pam? Pan. It's Pan? Yeah, not okay. Pam like the woman Pamela. Okay, Pan. Pan like Peter Pan. Got it. Yeah. So a quick Google search of it showed that uh, there's some comments from the director when he first checked out the set of Castle Black. He noticed that it's a 360 degree set. So he was really interested in the idea of doing a whole crane shot. So that's what he kind of uh, laid out. They rehearsed it for an hour with stunt crew and the crane and everything he said the crane was spinning so fast that had it hit someone could have actually killed them so they were very careful with it oh wow and there were no breaks in the shot and it only took seven takes so he says there's no tricks there it's all one shot i don't yeah and i love that i don't think there's a way to like replicate the the real feel of a shot like that i was thinking too and you kind of get, you kind of, I mean, because there's a point where Tormund is even kind of stopped and then he starts going again and it's like, you can kind of tell, you know what I mean? It just seems more realistic. Uh, it's very cool. Very cool shot altogether. Anyway, then uh, what happens next? Oh, John gets matched up against the main Thin uh, after Ghost starts just taking dudes out. And it, what is he, why is he stopping to eat? He's like eating one of the guys that he kills. Well, that's just a thin thing. You don't shame the no, thins. No, no, Ghost is doing it. Oh, well, that's also, yeah, it's a thin thing. It's Ghost is around thins. <laughs> when in when in thinville. That's what they say. When in thin, do as the thins do. Anyway, John's fighting that main thin, and that guy's like three and a half feet taller than him. It's, John is often matched up against people that he has no business fighting. It's a real shame. We're getting John versus the mountain, right? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. That's from The Departed. Anyway, <laughs> they start going at it. Uh, cling, clang. Ygrette can hear that this is Longclaw from the sound of the sword alone. She spent enough time around John and Longclaw that she's like, I know that fucking Valyrian steel noise from anywhere. So she like hops down from her little crow's nest no pun intended where she's just been picking <laughs> people off and uh, she starts making her way towards the sound of Jon Snow's sword the thin unfortunately knocks Longclaw out of Jon's hands Jon picks up a chain they keep going at it Egret finds herself with a clean shot at Jon but she kind of holds back 
Then the fin starts kicking John's ass. He smashes his face into an anvil. Yes. Like that's like a wily e. coyote thing. Dude, this would A knock you out cold, B probably shatter every bone in your face. <laughs> and John is somehow relatively unfazed. He smashes his head on an anvil, his face more specifically, throws him through a fire, and then picks him up by his neck and he's like gonna choke him to death. And John still has the wherewithal to grab a hammer, break free, and smash said hammer through that thin's thick head. Yeah, that must have been a hard swing of that hammer. I will say the hammer hammer is not a sharp instrument. It's like a tack hammer, too. So how the hell was it able to stick in the skull? Thunk. That's my noise. Thunk. Thunk. Anyway, John, I will say they did a good job of making him seem adequately exhausted after having been a part of this fight. He's basically like, (laughs) I'm about to die. And uh, this is where we have... One of the most heartbreaking, gut-wrenching scenes in the show ever. Where John sees Egret, She sees him. She's notched and she's pulled. and uh, No loose. No loose. But she's ready. And he smiles at her and she kind of smiles at him. And before you even have time to really think about what's going on or what might happen, this arrow just pierces right through her heart. And as we know... It is Ollie. Ollie nods at John like, I got your back, bro. And John is like, you fuck, dude. What? <laughs> Runs and catches Egret before she hits the ground. And before we get into these last moments before jo- between Jon Snow and Egret, what do you think would have happened here had Ollie not intervened? I mean, I know it doesn't matter. We're just basically playing hypotheticals. But had Ollie not intervened and killed Egret, do you think she would have killed John? No. I think she would have hit him with an arrow. Like I think she would have like shot him in the legs. But we've and already shit. been there. Like yeah. she's already <sighs> done that game, you know? What the what what other options does she have? I don't know. Just flip. Start shooting all the wildlings. She wouldn't do that. I mean, at least bail. I don't know. Just I just really wish I because the smiling at each other, it's like Yeah, what the hell was that about? It's almost like they I, I feel like she would have killed him. Had I, wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be surprised. Had Ollie not stopped her, I feel like it was like they were get, they had this last moment of like recognition together of their love or whatever, but she had to do what she had to do. I think she would have killed him. So in one way, I believe Ollie saved Jon Snow's life only to take it later. What a dick. Yeah. So to get back to the moment between Jon and Ygritte, uh Jon Snow, she says, do you remember that cave? We should have stayed in that cave. It's the... Oral sex cave for those who have forgotten. John says, We'll go back there. And Egret says, You know nothing, Jon Snow. Those are her last words. And she dies. No. No. It's what su- did you think of her last words? I, I thought it was cool. Um, I, it's a little cheesy, if that's what you're trying to get a at. A little bit. A little bit. But, because here's the thing if you put yourself in Egret's shoes, are you going to be having like a sly little line as you breathe your last breath like you know what I'm gonna get a cute one in here you know nothing Jon Snow at least that didn't happen you know nothing Jon Snow (laughs) and that's how she died what about Baba Booey why would that be it I don't know maybe she likes Howard Stern (laughs) you're weird dude but everybody knows that Um, John holds her you know, he's very upset. 
The fighting continues behind them in slow motion. There's always these scenes where I'm like, I get it. But if one dude just noticed, hey, there's a member of the Night's Watch over there just cradling a dead wildling. I'm going to go chop his head off real quick. This whole story's over. Yeah, the whole show. It's just really risky to just sit there in the middle of a battle mourning a lost loved one. With literally your back to the other people fighting. It's not a good tactical decision. Is what it is. Uh, but yeah, so then comes Jared's favorite scene in the history of this television show, oh Game of Thrones. Oh my God. Jared, what does Ed say? Drop the scythe, boys. That's very good. Yes, Ed drops the scythe on the motherfuckers that are climbing. It is awesome, but you feel for the guys who are climbing. Oh, man. Let's say that they've been at it for 45 minutes. Let's just say that. Suddenly, you've made it. You've made good progress. You're about halfway up the wall. And then suddenly, you hear Guy yell, Drop the scythe, boys. And you're like, the what now? <laughs> They're gonna drop the what? Well, I can't. They can't see it because it's covered in ice. I know. It's it's also very well hidden. In a two part system, you have to break those two things away to get the scythe to begin to swing. Very technologically advanced. These people with the wall. God. The okay. This scythe is by far the most badass weapon that we have ever seen in this show. It kind of makes you think like, okay, well, just based on the scythe alone. Nobody's ever getting up this wall if someone's down there paying attention, right? Like if somebody's up there paying attention, I mean. Well, the only problem I have with the scythe, like I love the scythe, it really only covers like 20 feet of the wall. And you have to catch them while they're in that 20 feet or else like the chain doesn't sweep the wall. The chain is like a little bit off the wall. So right. if you hug the wall, the chain will go over you. You got to right. get hit by the scythe itself. Yeah, but they. it seems like that's a good enough amount of space for you to get a, a good... Plus, anybody below that, they're not going to keep climbing up. Like, well, I'll just dodge the scythe. <laughs> well, the scythe, it, it can't just keep swinging. It's got to probably go, and then it, like, slowly... No, they, they, they crank it back up. Oh, can you do that? Yes, that's exactly what Ed tells them to do. He tells them to crank it? He's like, pull that shit back up, bros. He says that. <laughs> anyway, the scythe pretty much shuts this whole thing down. The wildlings have stopped moving forward from the north. They've had enough for one night, as Ed tells his men who begin to cheer, and Ed's like, don't cheer too loud, which, loudly, first of all. Yeah. And second of all, yes. You, you, you Don't give them any more ammunition than they already have down there. Don't cheer. If they hear you, it's just like a little bit more for them to get angry about. Back to the southern front of this fight, Tormund is swinging his weapon wildly with several arrows in him, and John has to put one more in his leg to subdue him. John puts him in chains. He says, we'll question him later, but he keeps him alive, which is kind of weird. I guess he just wanted to question him. Well, he knows. He likes Tormund, too. I know that. It's weird that they let him. Yeah, this, right? You would think that they'd be like, kill the wildling. Kill this giant ginger. The one who killed, like, multiple, multiple people. I just watched him kill one of my best friends. Why are we letting him live? <laughs> Somebody would probably yell that. Sam goes to Gilly. He kept his promise. He didn't die, at least for one night, which is great. Morning kind of seems to have broken at this point. It's like daylight peeking through or whatever. And Sam is all psyched. He's like, tells John this is a great victory. And John is not so fast to celebrate. It's kind of a bummer because at first you're like, fuck yeah, dude. This is historic. This is sick. The fact that they held these dudes off is awesome. And then John's like, actually, Mance was just testing our defenses. He will likely hit us again tonight. Uh, Mance has more giants. He has more mammoths. And he still has a thousand times as many men. 
Yeah, that was kind of a, hey, here's this crazy big war. It's nothing. This Sorry. is meaningless. This was absolutely meaningless, guys. So John decides now he's going to go find Mance. What about this battle, I guess, gave him the realization, Jared, to you, that the answer here is to have to go find and kill Mance Raider? Because he saw that, well, now, how many people do they have left? Eight. They have eight dudes, and they know that Mance has more people. They just think they can't hold him off anymore. I mean, they literally have 100,000 men. Yeah, like that's not going to work over the he long haul. He always knew it wasn't going to work. How about we save the trouble of this whole battle and you go do your whole Mance Raider situation thing? Is it the death of Egret that somehow gives him like the, oh, fuck it, I don't care if I die anymore? Or like, what's the deal? I'm just trying to make sense of his... Yeah, I think he just realized that they were fucked. He also doesn't care if he really dies because Egret is dead. And he just, he realized after seeing this battle, he's like, well, we're not going to win. All we're going to do is just keep killing them. So there's a way we can come to a mutual agreement. And that is if I go see Mance and we figure out an agreement. Or I kill him. Or he I kill him. Yeah. He says he wants to kill him, but like, I then don't Then he think, changes his mind like immediately, I think, next episode, if I recall. I don't think he's going there to kill Mance. Like, what's that going to do? Oh, now we don't have a leader. I guess we'll just stay up here. That's the argument he initially makes. It he is. says the Wilding army is only an army because of Mance, and that if he kills Mance, he thinks they'll all disperse back to their homes or whatever. But like, I think, you know, in those first 20 steps of his journey, he realizes how stupid that is. Yeah, well, the thing is, if you kill Mance, do you know who takes over? The Lord of Bones. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's not the guy you want in charge. Uh, I love, he, the Lord of Bones is a top two character. For the me. Lord of Bones is irrational. The Lord of Bones death is a top five death in the show's history. When, <laughs> he, when is, he gets got by Tormund, oh my that God. shit is incredible. The Lord of Bones. Sam tries to reason with John because as we know, Sam has recently done a lot of research about the wildlings and how they kill people. And he says, they won't just kill you. They'll boil you. They'll flay you. They'll make it last days. And John's like, thank you for that <laughs> bit of information as I head out toward these people. On their way out, John and Sam pass Grin and his squad, R.I.P., who held the gate. They're all dead. So is the giant. Very, very, you know, proud moment for them, their families, I'm sure. Yeah. And John gives Sam Longclaw. He says, in case I don't come back, apparently he promised Mormont he'd never lose it again. So he's going out unarmed into the snow, what is roughly a few hundred yards of, of open space between the walls of castle black the wall and the tree line where the wilding army of a hundred thousand strong is yeah how does he know uh, how far back they are what if they just see him and they're like oh you're dead buddy what if one guy decides you know what i'm gonna shoot arrows at this dude as he makes this walk across the snow i don't know this whole thing's preposterous john walks out the screen goes white the episode ends first question jared is season four the best season of this show ever I believe it might be. For besides this episode, what is your other big I mean Death of Joffrey. Yeah. Uh we're gonna get a lot next episode that I'm not gonna talk about yet. Some other things go down. The trial of Tyrion. Um what else? Help me out here. I don't know. A lot. Uh well Luke has some some notes. We also get good buddy cop pair, Arya and the Hound, a lot in this season. We do. We get the Mountain and the Viper We do. Fight. Little Finger killing Lady uh, Lysa Aaron. Little Finger killing This is Lysa a great Aaron. season. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That's another thing that, like, along with Little Finger, uh, Sansa really starts to come into her own this season. She starts to like, play the game. Before this one, she's 
very damsel in distress and kind of annoying Sansa, and she really starts to pick it up. Yes, it's, and Littlefinger's still alive, and and and, and a big making player. moves. Yeah, big moves. I I thought you know we're doing the rewatch. We're four seasons in. We're one more episode in this season. I so far this is the most complete season I think that I in my opinion that the show has done, and I'm not counting uh, five, six, seven. I'm counting just through where we're at right now in the nights rewatch. This is the best season to me. Okay, that's my opinion, man. I think it's a good opinion. This is a phenomenal season of television. Cool. Almost as good as... Uh, Burn Notice? Don't you fucking say it. Westworld. Oh, okay. Yeah. Freeze all motor functions. We'll be back next Monday to talk about the 10th and final episode of season four titled The Children, written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Alex Graves. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles and on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. We're also on Facebook somewhere. Nobody cares. You can follow me on all social media. I'm Ross at WR Bolin. Barrett, thank you. I mean, Jared, not oh, Barrett. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah. Come on, man. It's tough. I'm, I'm used to doing it with Barrett. Jared, thank you for being with us here today and filling in for Barrett. It means a lot. Where can the people follow not only you, but also all the freeze all motor functions accounts that your little heart would love to plug right now. I am at Jared Borslow on everything. And if you want to see all the amazing Westworld content that we do, it's very similar to OCC. We put out a bunch of awesome memes and the like. They do memes. Uh, you can see our memes at, at freeze all motor on Twitter and at freeze all motor functions on Instagram. What if people like you and they don't give a fuck about Westworld? Where can they follow you? At Jared Borslow. I'm verified. That's tight. Just like Ross. Good for you, man. We're all very proud. Thank you. 866-43-CLAMS is the hotline number. We'd appreciate it if you'd rate and, the review, rate and review the show if you haven't already. Uh, that's it. Adios. I love you. 